not taken his family into his confidence regarding his new costume. He was not quite certain that he should be free from ridicule, or at least from sarcasm, and as he was sensitive on the subject, he thought it better to be actually in the suitable environment before he allowed the full splendor to burst on them. He had taken some pains to ensure the completeness of the Highland costume. For the purpose, he had paid many visits to the Scotch all-wool tartan clothing mart, which had been lately established in Coptal Court by the Messrs. McCallum Moore and Roderick McDew. He had anxious consultations with the head of the firm, McCullum, as he called himself, resenting any such additions as Mr. or Esquire. The known stock of buckles, buttons, straps, brooches, and ornaments of all kinds were examined in critical detail and at last an eagle's feather of sufficiently magnificent proportions was discovered, and the equipment was complete. It was only when he saw the finished costume, with the vivid hues of the tartan seemingly modified into comparative sobriety by the multitude of silver fittings, the cairngorm brooches, the filibeg dirk and sporan, that he was fully and absolutely satisfied with his choice. At first he had thought of the royal steward dressed tartan, but abandoned it on the McCallum pointing out that if he should happen to be in the neighborhood of Balmoral, it might lead to complications. The McCallum, who, by the way, spoke with a remarkable Cockney accent, suggested other plaids in turn. But now that the other question of accuracy had been raised, Mr. Markham foresaw difficulties if he should by chance find himself in the locality of the clan whose colors he had usurped. The McCallum at last undertook to have, at Markham's expense, a special pattern woven, which would not be exactly the same as any existing tartan, though partaking of the characteristics of many. It was based on the royal steward, but contained suggestions as to simplicity of pattern from the McAllister and Ogilvy clans, and as to neutrality of color from the clans of Buchanan, Macbeth, Chief of Macintosh, and MacLeod. When the specimen had been shown to Markham, he had feared somewhat, lest it should strike the eye of his domestic circle as gaudy, but as Roderick MacDew fell into perfect ecstasies over its beauty, he did not make any objection to the completion of the piece. He thought, and wisely, that if a genuine Scotchman like MacDew liked it, it must be right, especially as the junior partner was a man very much of his own build and appearance. When the McCallum was receiving his check, which, by the way, was a pretty stiff one, he remarked, "'I've taken the liberty of having some more of the stuff woven in case you or any of your friends should want it.' Markham was gratified, and told him that he should be only too happy if the beautiful stuff which they had originated between them should become a favorite, as he had no doubt it would in time. He might make and sell as much as he would.' Markham tried the dress on in his office one evening after the clerks had all gone home. He was pleased, though a little frightened at the result. The McCullum had done his work thoroughly, and there was nothing omitted that could add to the marginal dignity of the wearer. "'I shall not, of course, take the claymore and the pistol with me on ordinary occasions,' said Markham to himself as he began to undress." He determined that he would wear the dress for the first time on landing in Scotland, and accordingly, on the morning when the Bon Rye was hanging off the Girdleness lighthouse, waiting for the tide to enter the port of Aberdeen, he emerged from his cabin in all the gaudy splendor of his new costume. 
The first comment he heard was from one of his own sons, who did not recognize him at first. "'Here's a guy. Great Scott, it's the governor.' And the boy fled forthwith and tried to bury his laughter under a cushion in the saloon. Markham was a good sailor and had not suffered from the pitching of the boat, so that his naturally rubicund face was even more rosy by the conscious blush which suffused his cheeks when he had found himself at once the sinusure of all eyes. He could have wished that he had not been so bold, for he knew from the cold that there was a big bare spot under one side of his jauntily worn Glengarry cap. However, he faced the group of strangers boldly. He was not outwardly upset even when some of their comments reached his ears. "'He's off his blooming chump!' said a cockney in a suit of exaggerated plaid. "'There's flies on him,' said a tall, thin Yankee, pale with seasickness, who was on his way to take up his residence for a time as close as...